Chowchilla, California seemed like an unlikely place for the largest kidnapping for ransom in U.S. history. But that's what happened there on July 15, 1976. 26 of Chowchilla's children had vanished. I came home from work and walked in the door and they weren't there. Joan Brown's two children, nine-year-old Jennifer and 10-year-old Jeff, usually arrived home on the school bus at 4.30 p.m. But that day, they were nowhere in sight. Joan, hi, it's Claudia with Fox. Thank you so much for talking with us today about your experience in Chowchilla all those years ago. So it's 1976, it's July 15th, you put your kids on a school bus for the second to last day of summer school. Joan, what do you remember about that day? Uh, I came home from work. Uh, I usually got off about four o'clock and I came home. Usually the kids had called me to let me know they got off the bus and they were home. Well, they didn't that day. And I came home and I walked in the door and they weren't there. I started making phone calls to the school. Uh, it just, it just was a mystery. They weren't there. Carol Marshall, another parent with a child on the bus, was anxious for her 14-year-old son, Mike, to arrive home. Carol usually picked Mike up from summer school, but that day, she made him take the bus. Carol Marshall, thank you for joining us on our podcast. We've heard from some of the people who were on the bus that day. And now we're hearing more and more from the parents and what they endured not knowing what had happened to their kids. Can you walk me through what happened? Around 4.30, he still wasn't home. And I was getting a little anxious. Um, by 5.15, he still wasn't home. I, I just didn't feel right. Joan, Carol, and the other parents didn't know their children and their bus driver, Ed Ray, had been kidnapped at gunpoint by masked men and were being driven around in vans. Larry Park was six years old at the time, and he vividly remembers being in the van. The van was so dark, and children were crying, and I know some of them had crowded around Ed Ray. I was sitting next to my sister in the van, but I, I, I mean, I was right beside her. I was touching her hand. We were holding hands, but I could not see Andrea. They had no idea where they were going or what would happen to them. They were driven around in the dark for nearly 12 hours. The worst part of that van ride is when we had to start using the restroom. The conditions were not nice. No food, no water, no restrooms. And the summer heat, over 100 degrees. Jennifer remembers plywood separating the children from their captors. I remember my mouse got ahead of me and I yelled at them and told them when my dad got a hold of them, they were gonna be in trouble. They didn't know who they were messing with. I think the heat and the exhaustion just overtook us. 
and most of us, after a few hours, just dozed off and slept. Um, I do remember them stopping the van, and I remember the overwhelming smell of gasoline. So I'm assuming they were refueling. But they never let you out to take a bathroom nope. break, never nope. fed nope. you. Banged on the side, told us to be quiet. Nope, never stopped, no water, no food. The children were miles from home, and the normally hushed town of Chowchilla was brought to its knees. I just broke down, cried, and no one had any answers. It was like somebody come down from Mars and just took them up off the planet. Up until that point, Carol Marshall and her family had only lived in Chowchilla for six months. They had just moved there from the Bay Area. Her husband, Bob, was up in Canada at the time, competing in a rodeo. Carol's plan was to drive to Utah after Mike got home from school to meet her husband, who was heading down to Ogden, just north of Salt Lake City, after his competition. So I called the school. The line was busy, which surprised me. I didn't think anybody would be there at 5.15. And I waited, hung up. About oh, 5.30ish, I called again and got Anita. She was a school secretary. I told her, I said, you know, uh, do you know if Michael got on a bus to come home and which one it was? Because he's not home yet. And she said, well, let me see. She went and talked to somebody and came back and said, yes, he got on the bus. I said, well, where is it? Whose bus was it? He got on Edward's bus. Okay, isn't he supposed to be here by now? And she said, well, we've lost a bus. And I was just completely... Uh, I said, what do you mean you've lost a bus? Oh, we're... Um, we think he probably had a flat tire or some kind of mechanical problem. And we've got people out looking for him now. I said, okay, what do you, where, do you know anything about his, the last stop he made? She said, no, but we've got the highway patrol. We've got people, when she said that, there is something wrong. So I hung up, waited a while and I couldn't wait. I just, I was, too crazy. No one could tell the parents where their children were, so they began to take matters into their own hands. Mike's best friend from the Bay Area, Doug, was spending his last week with the Marshalls, so he and Carol began to search the avenues of Chowchilla themselves. I got Doug. I said, Doug, we're going to go look. I thought possibly he didn't get on it that he got on, got off, and was walking home. So I went down the route that he would have walked home. And there were other cars out there, which was unusual for Chowchilla. Uh, they don't, you know, they don't, um, there's a lot of traffic, let me put it that way. So you were at home with your wife when the call came in uh, that a school bus had disappeared? You and your wife were just home that day? Yeah, well, yeah, the bus, as far as we knew, uh, the bus had disappeared. I had the pleasure of sitting down with the now 95-year-old Wild West Sheriff, Ed Bates. In those days, Sheriff Bates wore a cowboy hat, boots, 
and a Western-style belt with a 45 on his waist. By all accounts, he was the man for this job. He recounted that harrowing night. We set up a, uh, a command post in, in the Chowchilla Fire Department. They moved their fire engines out and we set folding chairs up and the, the parents and everybody had come there and of course they wanted me to tell them what had happened and uh, what was the chance of uh, getting their children back. Uh, tell me what you saw in their faces and what you heard in their voices. Well, of course, they almost turned white. They, they, they were obviously afraid. And uh, my job at that particular moment was to reassure them. Sheriff Bates began assembling a team to find the bus and the kids. Remember, this was 1976, long before GPS tracking systems, cell phones, or the internet. People had to rely on experience, gut instinct, and long-time relationships. One of our sergeants was a pilot, but he didn't have an airplane. But he knew uh, another county employee who had one, so they immediately got into an airplane and started searching the route that this uh, bus normally would have taken. It wasn't taking a normal route, however, because it was summer session, and so he was dropping off children at different locations in the general area. So uh, a private farmer who had an airplane also took off and started looking, and they found the bus hidden in a ravine, if you will, a, draw, a runoff slough, they call it, and it was, it was hidden from view. You couldn't see it at all, except from the air. So immediately we, we got we went to the scene. Now we're getting close to seven o'clock-ish at night. Sun's going down, and I have gone down every single road, and Doug is helping me look either way, which way. And on our way back to the house. I looked down one of the roads and there was a group of people. So I drove down, there was a bunch of cars lined up and I pulled in and there was a lady coming towards me, walking towards me. She was crying. And I said, have they found the bus? I thought it was wrecked. She said, yeah, they found the bus. Where are the kids? They're not on it. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And I couldn't comprehend that. What do you mean? She said, the bus is empty. And I just, I could not understand that. So I kept walking to the group of people and there was someone there, the sheriffs, the highway patrol, the, and they were taking down names and I didn't see the bus. 
So I walked up to one of the guys with a clipboard. I said, have you found the bus? He said, yes, it's down there in the slough. I said, okay, where'd they take the kids? I figured they took them to hospitals. Uh, they weren't on the bus. And, and there's other parents there, and we are like, nobody believed them. We thought there was some horrendous thing happened. That, so they uh, had one parent, we elected one parent to go down look. It was a man. When he came back up, he, uh, he said, they're right. The kids are not anywhere near the bus. I mean, the bus is there, but it's halfway covered and their belongings are on the bus. What went through your head when they found the bus empty in the middle of the riverbed? There was no answer to why there were no children. There were some tracks down in the riverbed uh, as if vehicles had been there, but nobody knew anything. There was absolutely no clues, nothing. And that is not an exaggeration. That's the way it was. This was a time that the Patty Hearst kidnapping was fresh on Bay Area mines, and the Zodiac Killer was still on the loose. Recently hired KTVU news producer John Fowler was working the story from the newsroom. The media was on high alert. Being a reporter myself, I was excited to speak with John to hear his first-hand account of covering a story like this. I was hired in 1976 as a writer and a producer at KTVU, and so when this kidnapping occurred and we got news of it, the fears of terrorism, political violence, swirled around lots of theories in the newsroom, of course, at the time. We had one person tasked to call the Madera sheriff every few minutes. The lines were always busy. We rarely got any information from them. Once in a while, we would get just a little bit of an update. But we decided to send a crew to Chowchilla. They left... I believe around 10 o'clock at night or so. And uh, they got $50 in dimes and quarters to go use cell phones. Uh, were not invented yet. So we needed to get contact, so we used pay phones. A sheriff's spotter plane discovered the bus in which they had been riding, abandoned and camouflaged in a dry creek bed. Police rushed to the scene. They found no ignition key, no sign of bloodshed or violence, only fresh tire tracks in the dirt but no other clues to what increasingly looks like the most bizarre crime in recent memory. As media outlets descended upon the area, Madera County Sheriff Ed Bates had his hands full. They had located the yellow school bus, but the children were still nowhere to be found. Okay, so these people are now panicked. Yeah. They're looking at you. Yeah. I'm telling them, don't, don't worry, I'm going to catch these guys. I did. I, uh... I'm very optimistic. I've worked murder cases, robbery cases, rape cases, and I told them that. I told them that uh, we're going to find the children, and we did that because, uh, fortunately, I had just returned. I'm an FBI Academy graduate, and I had been invited uh, by the FBI to attend a special training session at their academy, which is back in uh, Quantico, Virginia. They were taking 100 law enforcement officers who were graduates and 100 FBI agents, of course, who were graduates. And they teamed us up to go back to what's called a command school for advanced criminology. So I was teamed up with an FBI agent from Merced, which is not too far from here, not too far from where this crime took place. 
Sheriff Bates called the FBI agent he knew and ramped up the search. So I immediately called him. I said, I needed some help. So the first thing he did was have the, because they had the resources, to call a telephone company and they set up a bank of uh, telephones outside uh, for all the news media so that they could be abreast of what was going on and pass out the information. And then they assigned agents with deputies of mine to go over the entire route that this bus would have taken from the school where they dropped off a couple of children and then from then on nobody was dropped off and then we found the bus. So they walked the route, these teams of officers, the whole distance looking for any kind of evidence whatsoever. Cigarette butts, pieces of paper, whatever. In the meanwhile, I called the governor of the state of California who was out of state attending something. So I got hold of the lieutenant governor, told him what I needed, and I said, I need some National Guard airplanes help here, choppers. So he sent some National Guard choppers down, and we immediately put officers in with them and checked out all of the uh, abandoned barns and, and places like that, uh, looking for uh, heavily laden vehicles, too. Now, the highway patrol, I called them, of course, right away, too. I called the fish and game people. I called uh, the Bureau of Narcotics people. I called all the state agencies in. The, gov the governor told me I could do that. So the search was on. Yeah. How lucky that you had this officer, that you had somebody with a plane, that you knew had somebody that knew how to fly the plane, yeah. that the plane crossed the area before it got too dark so they could see the bus. I mean, talk about the luck that... Yeah, and then not only that, a very surprising thing happened. Against the door of the yellow bus was a blue transfer paint where they had backed up to the bus and, and loaded the children aboard. And in the process, they got yellow bus paint on their vehicle and left paint from their vehicle on the bus. No sooner did that happen and a thunderstorm came up that obliterated any possible chances of evidence there. Uh, but we got there in time to get it. Law enforcement quickly realized more than one vehicle was involved in the kidnapping. How quickly did you determine that there were two other vehicles involved? Well, you could tell from the impressions on the, uh, on the ground that there were two. This was in sandy territory, and you could tell that heavily laden vehicles had been there. But finding an empty bus dampened what little hope parents had that their children would be found. There were no children there. Uh, there were no footprints in the dirt. The FBI sent us home to get a piece of clothing from each of the children so they had some way to identify them if they found them. Uh, it, it was just, it was insane because nobody knew anything. And then as the hours went on, uh, news people came. Uh, they would come to our house. Little Chowchilla became international news. It touched off a widespread search throughout the San Joaquin Valley, a search now being coordinated by the FBI. If it is a massive kidnapping, and that's what law enforcement officers seem to think it is, they have no clues, no idea of what happened or why. 
anguished parents and their neighbors, some with citizen band radios, have joined the search. Others are milling about the police station in Chowchilla, mostly bewildered, too shocked to cry, but hopefully awaiting some word that their youngsters have been found. I had set up, with all the news media, a regular schedule. They come in, took turns for 15 minutes each. They came from England and France and everywhere. They were ever, all over the place. We found out later that the Shah of Iran was aware of what was going on. The whole world knew that these children were missing. It was that big. Then President Gerald Ford asked to be kept informed about Chowchilla on an ongoing basis once he received an initial report from the FBI. There were even stories that they were taken by space cadets or whatever they called them at that time. And I, that is serious. It was, as the hours went by, it was, what were they taken by aliens? It was that crazy. It was literally that crazy. As the hours ticked by, the small town of Chowchilla had only faith to cling to, and even that was dwindling. I remember saying, God, if you bring them back, I will. I will. And I stopped. There was nothing that I could do to bar use to bar them. Well, thank God to bring my children back. That wasn't the first time I talked to God that day, but there was nothing that I could use to bargain. How do you bargain with God? Coming up. I seriously did not think I was going to make it out of there. I really think I was making peace. That was it. I was going to die with my brother and some of my best friends. What were your theories initially when you heard that this school bus had vanished? Who would have a motive for doing this? And then I thought, well, uh, could it have been a parent? From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.